be a class that we we got that will be back on schedule. Okay, so it's going to be Tuesday night. Pasha class, Tanya class, Monty Tan, the Faith and the Family and Trust. So that's uh, number one. Number two, I'm going to ask you of you a favor. Um, whatever you guys decide the schedule is, it's 9.14. But I do have to finish this class at 10 o'clock. Okay, so from here on, please guys, if you want to come early, while I'm giving my Tanya class, you guys can come straight from here. Have your lunch and uh, fun time, and then uh, let's get started. And because normally I don't mind leaving without giving people a chance to ask questions, but I do have to finish at 10 o'clock, specifically today. Tomorrow I have a flight early. Okay, so with that being said, where's Alejandro? He's Let's have some Emunah that he's going to be Okay. Okay, guys, I'm going to give a little introductory today. Okay? And then my understanding is you have behind me the books for those who don't have the books. And uh, what was discussed in the uh, process of creating this class was that the way it works is that people do a textual reading. And we'll go ahead and, and discuss that. If you guys want that, Bakasha, if you want me to go ahead and do the reading prior and just deliver, just let me know what works for you, okay? But what the discussion was that everyone's going to have a book and we're going to read. So the Mevin uh, in the crowd decide what you want to do. For me, I think it would be okay. Okay, on the one hand, the text will make you not daydream. On the other hand, text does kind of make it you know, some people. Okay, let's start with this. This is a book built on the teacher of Nachum Breslov. Nachum Breslov is, besides being a offspring, also was part of the chain of Hasidus. The question is why we need Hasidus on Muna and Bitachon. There is a book from Chovet Halabavot that talks about Shai Bitachon. The Talmud describes what's the definition of the moon and bitachon. So why do we need a book on chassidus? Why can't we just go ahead and do the Gemara Talmudic experience? What does chassidus have to offer us that has already been discussed? So I want to really understand this before we dive into the moon and bitachon of this book. It talks about three levels. It talks about three levels of But um, when we talk about Emunah, it talks about three levels. But there's already the Talmud. Long before the rest of Chassidus started, long before the Bashemtov started, and obviously I'm going to be giving it to you through my eyes of Chabad understanding and knowledge. But with that said, why do we need this? What wasn't there in Emunah from the time when Moses, in the last 37 days of his life, taught the Eden? What a moon is all about. Shmai Yisrael Shemakin Hashemachad. That's the ultimate proclamation of the moon. So to understand this, let's go back and understand a little bit what the difference between the Talmudic process, which we call Nigla, revealed, and what is the process of Hasidus, which is what we call the Hid. The verse says, Anistodis Lashem Alakeinu. It's Nigla Slanol Avaneinu. The revealed was given to us, and the hidden was given was unto God. So what is the difference between the two, especially this time of year? In Hasidus, no Kabbalah, Kabbalah perspective, it's a big time of year, it's Lava Omer, Lava Omer stands for Gal, Gal is a, a huge concept in Kabbalah, it's the revelation, the character of Shem Barichai, the Zohar, yada, 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 right at the beginning we call it Zohar. So what does it have to offer us? So understand. On 
understand that in the process of Talmud and Halakha, we're focused on the body action. We're focused on accomplishing the physical manifestation of. In Hasidus, is where there is the spiritual dimension, which also creates the personalization to your own makeup. Let's talk about this for a moment. Talmud is going to tell you what it's filling me to look like. It's going to tell you what makes it kosher and what makes it not kosher. It's going to tell you where you have to put it and where you're not allowed to put it. It's going to tell you how long you have to wear it and when you can take it off. It's going to tell you when you pass what we call the chiyuv, the obligation, and when not. That's the Talmudic perspective of Tzvillin. Now, the Talmudic perspective of Tzvillin also encompasses, if you open up your book of Jewish law, that there are certain meditations you need to actually have every single day when you put on your Tzvillin. Three specific meditations printed in the code of Jewish law. You have the meditation of Exodus of Egypt, you have the meditation of the oneness between the two names of God, and you have the meditation of the dedication of your mind and heart. Well, let's talk about this. The Talmud says that when you say Shema Yisrael Hashem Hashem Echad, the word Echad needs to be outstretched. And there's a whole process here. You can't say Echad. It has to be Echad. So the Talmud's getting nitty gritty. And then the Talmud asks the question, Mesech the Brachas, and how long have to be Meirech, how long do you have to make that long Echad? Because the Talmud needs definition. The Talmud gives a definition. Until you are in a state of mind where you are willing to die for God. So that is a parameter of this definition. This is what Hashem Echad means. And the same thing goes for Emunah. What is the parameters of Emunah? When you say the word Ani Mamin, when you hear the Talmud calls the Jewish people Maminim B'nai Maminim, believers and sons of believers, what is the halachic definition of a believer? Parenthetically speaking. A boy tells a girl, you should know that I'm strong. The girl says that I accept your proposal of marriage because you are strong. The Rambam now needs to know what's the definition of strong. Because if he, def if he fits into that definition, then she's married. And if he does not fit into that definition, she's not married. Instead, that in the body of Torah, everything is do or die. You cannot expect compassion from the wire system of your house. It's either connected or it's not connected. And you can sit there and cry, but I work so hard. The wires don't care. They're either connected or they're not connected. It isn't a spiritual, emotional, it's factual. And in the world of facts, we really don't care whether you're crying or you worked or you didn't work or how bad it is. How it's a fact. You either did it or you didn't do it. So when we talk about the Talmudic approach to Emuna, we need hardcore facts. We're not talking about your struggle of personalization with Emuna. We're talking about that there is a mitzvah called Hemanut Elakut. There's a mitzvah to believe in God. 
Read the first commandment. Ten commandments, right? I am God, your God. What is that commandment? That's a fact. What's that commandment? It's called one of the ten commandments. What kind of commandment is it that I am God, your God? It's the commandment of to believe in God. And what that mitzvah is, is defined in Talmud and in Code of Jewish Law like every other mitzvah. By the Seder table, for those of you who know, there is a halacha of how much matzah you have to eat. If you ate that amount of matzah, you did a mitzvah. If you didn't eat that amount of matzah, you didn't do the mitzvah. It's that simple. It isn't emotional. It isn't spiritual. It isn't experiential. Quite the contrary. Usually it causes stomach problems. But the bottom line is that you need to eat this amount of matzah. So don't talk to me about that the Zohar calls it the first night of food of faith and the second night of food of healing. Leave me alone with all that right now. Right now we need to know, did I eat this amount of matzah or this amount of matzah? Was I yoitzah or was I not yoitzah? That's not what this class is all about. For that we should be having a Shulchan class, a Rambam class, a Yechayis Halavovah's class. That's not what Hasidus has to offer in the Muda. Hasidus doesn't define the parameters of mitzvahs. In the simple old Kabbalistic terms, we used to call Kabbalah Taime HaMitzvahs. What does Ta mean, Kalev? Flavor. Very interesting that you took the most Kabbalistic approach here. Because a simple approach is timing means reasons. In the deeper Kabbalistic So in the process of understanding the parameters of Amuna, wondering when am I classified as a Maimon, that's not what we're doing. That's not what Hasidus comes to offer. Hasidus comes to offer you a ladder of how to get into the parameters. Hasidus wants to understand how the divine perception, which is infinite, of faith, fits into the finite human being. How does a human being live day by day where little details, some of them very challenging, become an experience of your living? So the Talmud tells you what you have to do. Chassidus is going to tell you, A, how the human can do it. B, what lies hidden within the experience of doing it. Okay? So I just wanted to be clear that you didn't come here to understand certain parameters of the movement. Just be clear what we're doing here. Okay? Because Hasidus did not rewrite the Code of Jewish Law. The Code of Jewish Law has nothing to do with Hasidus. Dr. Rebbe is actually called Shnei Or, and the, the teachings go on. Why is it called Shnei Or? Two lights. Because he wrote the Shulchan Aruch and he wrote the Tanya. They're two separate lights. Of course, there's only one Torah. But understand that when you're coming here, you're coming here for a spiritual, specific Hasidic dimension of faith. Okay? That's number one. Introduction number one that I want to give you. Introduction number two. In this book, 
he talk about he talks about the three levels. I was asked to give that introduction today, and then to open up for questions. So I want to just share with you what does it mean these three different levels, right? Where are we here? You have the three different levels of understanding. Interesting. Again, I will tell you, and I've told this to the people who asked me to give this class, that as you know, I am a student of Chabad Hasidus. So I cannot help myself but read this through the eyes of everything I've studied. That's how I've been programmed to think, thank God. So we have over here the different basic levels, then you have the intermediate level, and then you have the higher level. And the intermediate level, the basic level, he talks about belief in divine providence. We'll talk about that in a moment, please. Divine set intermediate level is everything Hashem does is for the very best. And then the third level is that everything Hashem does is for a purpose. And he's going to divide them. Why he's going to divide them that way, I don't know, but let's first explore this. What is the definition of divine providence? What is then the second definition that everything Hashem does is for the good? And what is the third definition that everything Hashem does is for a specific purpose? And how does that give us a Hasidic insight into the concept of it? So let's talk about divine providence. And I want to back it up a little bit. Do you know that if you simply read the book, his grandfather, going back to Rosh if you simply read the books, do you know that Balshemta was arguing with the Rambam? Mind you, my mom was there a couple hundred years before Balshemta. If you look at the Rambam, the Rambam does not take the perspective that the Balshemta took in Ashkafa Pradis, which is the Hebrew word for divine balance. If you look at the Rambam, the word of Rokhemi writes clearly that Hashem has a general providence of everything a more individual providence of the human race, a more individual of individual providence of the Jew. This book is built on the original teaching of Baal Shem Tov, where divine providence is a story about a leaf falling on a worm. You guys familiar with that story? Famous story of Baal Shem Tov. Baal Shem Tov is walking with his students, and he was talking about divine providence. And the students were struggling to understand what the Baal was teaching. And the Baal said, you see that leaf, as we were talking, just when it fell? Please go and pick up that leaf. And they walked over to the leaf, and they picked up the leaf, and they saw a dehydrated bug under the leaf. And were not that leaf to have fallen on top of that bug, the bug would have died of dehydration. And he turned around, and he said, now you understand, Hashkocha Protis? Now you understand what divine providence means? Divine providence means that Hashem is busy with a single dehydrating insect that needed to be helped. I will clearly tell you, if you learned the teaching of the Rambam, you would not say this. Not only would you not say this, you would be extremely bothered by what was said. Understand what happens when you have a God who's preoccupied with the hydrated bugs. Understand that the original thought process tells you that what you're saying is a chilul Hashem. Understand that when you look at divine providence from where the Rambam was standing, to have said this would have been a desecration to God. Our God is not busy with saving dehydrated bugs. Our God is big and busy.
busy. Let's talk about this for a moment, guys. Again, the job over here is to be practical. To take the infinite, connect it to the finite. The moon is infinite, our brains are finite. Let's put the two together. Divine providence, the way the Valsheptov teaches it, is extremely problematic to everything that pre-existed before the Valsheptov. And what I wanted to focus on primarily as I prepared this class, I know we're supposed to be reading inside, I told you, I want you to give an introduction, is that Hashkocha Pratis could not have been taught without prior Kabbalistic understandings. Maimonides did not teach Kabbalah, and therefore he could not teach the divine providence that this garden of Amuna is demanding for us to live with. Why? So put things in proper perspective, okay? Put things in proper perspective of a CEO of a hugely traded market, a business a company on the market, right? Hugely traded. And then what is this guy busy with? He's busy with the paper clips of his business. There's been way too many paper clips being used. And he's spending now a couple of days, weeks, months, walking through the office, wanting to see how many people are using how many clips, and how many of those paper clips really need to be used. You understand what we're talking about now? So God's got, before we even get to the worlds, God's got three symptoms, an infinite light and a finite light. There's He and His name. There's the infinite Malchut. Then he's got a symptom. Then he's got the world of Ak. And then after the world of Ak, he's got another couple of worlds, which is called a Kudni Kudni Brut. And after a Kudni Kudni Brut, he's got to deal with the supernal crown, the inside and the outside. And after the inside and the outside, he's got to deal with the ten spheres of Atsilas, that's besides the other beings of Atsilas. And then after that, he's got another symptom he's got to deal with. Then he's got to deal with Bria, where you're dealing with different levels of angels and different levels of souls and different levels of spheres. Take that to your tier, take that to Asiya, take it to the whole thing. Now tell me again what God was doing with that bug. So let me ask you another question. You're driving on the 95, and you've got a simple little problem. You had a flat. You really think that's any different from the, the hydrogen bomb? And put it in the scheme of things. Do you want to tell me that Ashkachan Prati and so not basic that my mind just didn't feel comfortable saying it. So guys, what happened 
in between Maimonides and the Boshem. Those of you who were here by Tanya class 34 minutes ago, you should know the answer. Between Maimonides and the Baal Shem Tov came the teachings of the great Ariya Kadosh, later defined by the Baal Shem Tov, later defined by Shomaki, later defined by the Alter Rebbe Tanya, and so on and so forth and so on and so forth. What was the Arizal's foremost accomplishment in the world of Kabbalah? Anyone know? You guys? Uh, I don't believe from here. Did he study Kabbalah? Say this later. Kaha kaha. See comes out. Want to proceed in the Kumsa? Okay. Slow, slow, slow. No. has one major, one major, major thing. It's Chaim. It's Chaim is the product of his student who actually worked on all his writings. Or Chaim Tal. What's your name? Diana. Diana. Did you ever study it? A little bit. A little bit. The major accomplishment of the Riyah Kadosh, known as the Rizal, is that Simpson must be perceived. What does that mean? Tzimtzum is that point of contraction where the infinite pulls back and the finite goes forth. Now prior to the Arizal, there was a huge different twist on understanding Tzimtzum. So much so that the Kabbalists said that if you want to understand God's relation, please read as divine providence. We want to understand God's relationship to the world. You should have the metaphor of a king. Nothing takes place in the palace without the okay of the king. But there's a little problem. The sanitation process, that's exactly what the example they use. So there's garbage, there's like, you know, the garbage corner, we have those big green bins that the truck backs up to. What does the king have to do with that? But nothing, nothing exists without the presence of the king. So the example the Kabbalists gave were the king stands in the palace and looks out the window to see what's going on in the garbage. What happens here, Kabbalists? What was the what was the accomplishment of this metaphor pre-Arizal? Very simple. There's a protection that God's not Beautiful. Very beautiful. Understand now what Kabbalah is struggling with. Because God is everything and everything is God, but there also exists evil, there also exists bad experiences, which then would make me read the sentence, God forbid, as God is evil, evil is God, God is bad experiences, bad experiences is God. The Kabbalists were bothered by that, so they created this symptom process of detachment. So now you understand why Maimonides doesn't take this point of view from divine providence. Because there's got to be a detachment between our hormonal mood-swinging bad experiences and the infinite God. But along comes the Dari, and Dari says you must read Simpson Shalokim Shuto. What does Shalokim Shuto mean? Do not read it in simple face value. You've read this week's Parsha yet? An eye for an eye. What does every Jew know? An eye for an eye cannot be read simply, because it doesn't mean an eye for an eye. It means monetary value of an eye for an eye. You understand now the difference between reading something kipshuto or shelo kipshuto. Simtum must be read shelo kipshuto. 
because ultimately speaking, God is everything and everything is God. Which then leads us to the statement in Kabbalah that God's knowledge of the Gnat in the center of the earth is because it is God and God is it. You understand what I'm saying? Without understanding this process, you cannot believe in divine providence. If you don't believe that God is everything and everything is God, then you cannot really digest that God is worried about your nail breaking this morning. You wouldn't understand that, but for women that's a big <laughs> That just doesn't make sense. You really think that God is really overly concerned that you are having a bad morning because your nail cracked on you. You know how long you were working to grow out these nails? How does that make sense? It doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense that this worm was on God's mind. Until you're willing to understand what happened between the Rambam and between the Baal Shem Tov, what new revelation came forth. And not that the Baal Shem Tov knew something Maimonides didn't know. It was just that the Maimonides' hands were tied from revealing this because the time wasn't right. So if you can't reveal this, you cannot reveal divine providence as you're about to learn it. Because this is connected to that. So what he calls here as the basic level of divine providence, that is the gift of the Baal Shem Tov based on the Ariya Kadosh's teaching of the oneness of God. Now you understand that God's thinking about the Word is God's knowledge of Himself. That's no more degradation. God making sure that every piece of Himself is taken care of is not a degradation. Let's put it this way. Let's make it more picture form. How many of you guys ever saw the famous Pip? printing posters, and I was in California, I was like a big thing. So one of the famous pip, you know what I'm talking about? One of the famous pip printing posters was this little kid with raw bakak, and he's standing over there like this, with his head like this, saying, I know I can't be nothing, because God doesn't create nothing. In the world of Chassidus, that takes on a deeper dimension. It's not that I can't be nothing because God creates, doesn't create nothing, and I was created by God. I can't be nothing because God is not nothing, and I'm a piece of God. So suddenly divine providence is a natural flow of perception. How can God not care about a dehydrating piece of God? take this to a higher level. If you don't feel that intimate relationship between you being a piece of God and God, you cannot appreciate divine providence. And if you cannot appreciate divine providence, 
and Muna is a big problem. Let's take another example from a business. One of the downfalls of a big company is when the doorman doesn't feel that the CEO cares about him. Follow what I'm saying? Oh, the big wigs, they look out for each other. Me, I'm dispensable. Yeah, doorman, not a doorman. Next. So you understand that that doorman starts feeling that what happens to him really doesn't even make it to his boss's desk. Which in turn means that there's no providence between the CEO boss who's making decisions and who's in charge of things and the doorman. What I'm trying to tell you is you can't feel like a shmata and then tell me that based on the basic level of divine providence, I have a muna. There's no recording, right? There is a recording. Hasidic stories of miracles knowing that I'm going down big time. <laughs> it wasn't a contradiction. It's beautiful. God does miracles and miracles. <laughs> Crash landing. You understand why the basic point is divine providence, which is dependent upon you understanding that you are a piece of God. Yeah. I was a human moment over there. <laughs> um, so but, but I hear what you're saying. 
didn't mean to cut you down. I'm just, right. I just enjoyed the moment. <laughs> but what is, what is it saying? Why the guys look me off for his own? It's a whole different, a whole different ball of wax when you see yourself. It's not a that one is unity. So the divine providence is the only perceivable way of thinking. But yeah, I didn't mean to go in on that same We're saying the same. So how is it uh, different in uh, Chabad versus in uh, uh, versus in Breslov? Uh, uh, what's 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 the difference? I, mean, I don't understand yet what I'm saying. What I'm telling you is Chabad is everything else now. Shut down. Okay. <laughs> suggesting that this isn't powerful on its own right. But if you ask them what's the difference Chabad and Breslin, I'm just telling you how I've been trained to approach these things. Don't wait till it feels good and you'll get mission accomplished. Grind, grind, grind. Make it real, make it real inside out. Make it so real that when everything in your whole being shrieks against it, when you're being so adamantly stubborn and stupid, can't you see there's no Ashkacha protest? Can't you see that moon is not getting you out of this one? Can't you see that it's just real problems? 
it's time to get to work and start with this faith business. At those moments, at those moments, these classes need to be able to kick in. Take a big time. doesn't really contradict with the, with the third level of Ramuna, which is trying to get the message, understand and write it, which is the same thing you are saying. I, I wasn't even talking about the third level contradiction. I'm just saying that I think that the basic level is the real challenge. And once you get through the basic level, once you can really absorb divine providence, see, to me, to me, once I know God's in charge, I'm not questioning whether he's drunk and having a great time with me. I understand, once I know God's in charge, that everything has a purpose and everything has a meaning. I understand that. I think the ultimate challenge is, when you're feeling rotten and tiny and small, to still understand that maybe that's in your worm's eye view, not in God's bird's eye view. Once you understand who you are to God because you are a peace one with God, and then the divine providence works in, and then that's the... So, so yeah, you hang around me in the car when, when I think I'm alone, you'll hear me like, God, what are you doing now? Yeah, you'll hear me talk to God, like, alright, okay, have your fun. But that's just my human side, you know, just feeling all flustered, so, you know, I'm, I'm being an arrogant little kid. But once you hear me talking to God, we're already in the moon field. So whether I do figure out or don't figure out, whether I walk home one time thinking, yeah, God, you know, I fit on the roof, you know, why do we always be the chosen one? Why don't you choose someone else every once in a while? That's all part of a wonderful life experience with God. You've got to be careful with that. Don't make sure it gets too pessimistic. Don't make sure, you know, cynicism doesn't just poison the whole relationship. But I think the real challenge is that when something goes wrong, and maybe yeah, I want to tell you specifically. I'm wondering if God ever. You know, I do my fair share of counseling. And I sometimes have someone sitting there and tell me, you know, you know, I didn't want to waste your time with this because, you know, I, I, yeah, I just want to tell you this little thing. You know, the process of the whole big problems. But my answer to that is, you're right. To me, this is a little thing. But to you, it's a big thing. And you, to me are a big thing. So even though I don't understand why you're letting this get to you, but as long as it is getting to you, it's meaningful to me, something I need to deal with. That's what I was trying to share with you tonight. Because if you don't think that you're meaningful to God, and if you don't think that your feelings are meaningful to God, then understand God's attitude to you should be the way someone is like, okay, do me a favor, you have a real problem, come to me. Stop putting me a cup. You want to make this problem and it's dirty. You know what I go, I just want to kill my kids. Don't you stop? But I love my kids. And this is bothering my kid. This to me is stupid. But my kid to me is not stupid. So if this is bothering my kid, this became important to me. So you're talking about a huge paradigm shift that needs to take place to embrace the first level of Amuna. Once the first level of Amuna is in place, 
then to me, the second level and the third level isn't that big of a challenge. Because if I believe Hashem's in divine providence mode, then, I, then of course He has a reason. Of course there's a purpose. Of course Maimonides says that someone who just handles casualties as if it's just circumstances, he calls him an achsa, a merciless person. How can you not understand that everything is a communication with God, a meaningful communication with God? God doesn't blah, blah, blah. When he talks, he has something to say, something you should be hearing. So the first level, the first level is a real challenge. The first level is something that takes a huge paradigm shift in how you see yourself and how you see God and how you see your relationship with God. But then it becomes a whole different, beautiful experience of the Muna. Because I know everything that's happening to me is all affecting God. I know that when I cry, even though it's over stupidity, God's not comfortable. There's a piece of Him, and as a Jew, there's a very central piece of Him that's crying.
So how does he know what sins are happening in the bathroom? That was the question. You know what kind of answer they came up with? The gods looked through the keyhole. <laughs> these, these, are Bible, these are answers that were given. The second answer is, no, God's looking in the keyhole in the bathroom. But when you come out of the bathroom, God knows how to read faces so you can tell what you did in the bathroom. These were Jewish thoughts. This wasn't Greek pagan thoughts. Rabbi, is that the answer? No, of course not. What is the answer? <laughs> if God wasn't in the bathroom, there wouldn't be a bathroom because there's nothing outside of God. Because he's everywhere. God is everywhere. But God is everything. So explain how, could you just explain so how? So explain how you can't learn Torah. Obviously the bathroom is not like the holiest place. But question. Yeah. Shab, yeah, like, could you explain how and That's you explain a question. That. That's a big question. Well, we don't know. A question that's asked in Tanya. Yeah. How do you have that? How do you have the mission telling you that there's ten levels of holiness, the holy of holies, and then the front yard, and the, 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 the altar, yeah. and the, Jerusalem, the world? How can there be levels of holiness? Holiness is defined by divine presence. Yeah. Divine presence is everywhere. Yeah. Called the Medrash. It's not so that, that the, the world is the place of God. God is the place in which the world exists. So how can you have anywhere? How can you have a bathroom that you're not allowed to learn words of Torah in? Uh -huh. And then you have a shul that you're not allowed to do other things in. That's a question. That's a huge question. The question that we don't know the answer. Of course we know the answer. What's the answer? <laughs> <laughs> well, what's the answer? In a nutshell, it's not going to be easy for, for this time. Oh, okay. But in a nutshell, next, next time. In a nutshell <laughs> our behaviors depend not on the presence of God, but the revelation of the presence of God. Thus, holiness and, and purity is defined by the concealment and revelation of God's presence, which is where you have a double relation with God, the essence and the revelation. In essence, is there no difference. In revelation, is a huge difference. Why? Because God willed it to be so. But it's important to understand this whole process, because if now we have a serious question, because if I can't mention God's name in the bathroom, that means God doesn't see what I do in the bathroom. That's a great place to hang out. I look at my mother this way. God is open to everything that happens to God. And everything that happens to us happens to God. And if everything happens to God, then He knows and there's our trouble of everything that is happening to us. That we know. Okay, only that we're affected by what happens to us and God's not affected by what happens. That's an important little thing we have to stick in there. That's the, that's the, that's the one glitch in the metaphor of the way the soul fills the body, so does God fill all creation. And every book that quotes that always puts in that one little explainer. That the soul is affected by the experiences of the body, and God's not affected by the experiences of creation. That's the one little, one little disclaimer that you must put in. Otherwise, you'll be looking for trouble. But other than that, everything you said is absolutely true according to the teachings of the Boshanta, followed by all his successes. Also, my mother was uh, supposed to be Correct, but my Maimonides didn't touch that. There's actually one place where I saw that because in the generation of Maimonides there was such a huge decree against the revelation of Kabbalah, and that's why Maimonides, who touched every period of the Torah, did not reveal in any open fashion anything of Kabbalah. Mind you, the first four, especially the first two chapters of his book, with Maisi Markova, is huge. But he doesn't, if you just simply read it, you won't find it. You simply find it again, laws, the book of laws. So at that time, you couldn't, you couldn't really reveal to the masses 
this understanding of the true unity of God. And that's why divine providence couldn't be discussed at such a level. It would have created the worst Chilul Hashem possible. But when the Baal Shem comes along and takes the teachings of the Ariza and dismantles it in a total different level, where every, every person is now talking of this type of unity, then you can talk about this type of divine power. So this first level of Amuna that he's discussing here is built on the most fundamental principles of faith according to the teachings of Hasidus. The utmost understanding that everything is God and God is everything. And understanding what it means when we refer to the Jewish people as the pupil of God's eye. That's the same thing for Hasidus. Bovas Eidon of HaKadosh Baruch And then we start discussing all the details of the experiences that they brought upon themselves or didn't bring upon themselves, which deserves crying, which doesn't deserve crying. Not so simple. You remember what happened when the spies came back? That was Tishabov. What did God say? You've cried today tears which are meaningless. God took an oath that we will yet cry tears that are very meaningful. So the spies came back on Tishabo, which later becomes the end of the structure of the two temples. Why? If they were crying meaningless, let it go. What are you even reacting to? It? Come on, you're a big God. No, there is no tears of a Jew which God won't react to. Which, by the way, is why it's so important that you don't shed tears that aren't meaningful. I shouldn't say this too loud, there are wives here. But the Jewish law actually says that a woman's tears affects the husband's person. When a woman cries, there's going to be financial losses to her spouse, which means to our family. I mean, why? You know, a woman's got a different form of emotions. Leave her alone. Leave her crying alone. Leave her taking it seriously. Okay, guys? Okay. Can you talk about the tears are being lost from? Like, <laughs>